Welcome to On the Stoop with Suave, the place where the best conversations with your favorite people happen. On this episode, Suave has Chicago native Red Bull three-style USA champ Trentino on the stoop, where they'll be discussing DJing, deconstructing his Red Bull three-style set, sausage fest in the booths, and much more. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, DJ Suave. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to On the Stoop with Suave. My name is DJ Suave. And I have a special guest in the house tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise for Trentino. What's up, man? What's happening? <laughs> How you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yo, man, thanks for coming through. I know you were doing some rock climbing today. Yeah, I was uh, out in Red Rock uh, climbing a little bit. That's kind of my main hobby at the moment. But you do a lot of outdoor stuff. Yeah, Uh Basically, after I moved to L.A., I got into hiking and backpacking, and then it evolved into climbing and snowboarding. Those are kind of the, the main two at the moment. Nice, because you were in Colorado not too long ago doing some snowboarding, right? Um, I haven't been to Colorado this season. I was there, I think, I was there a lot like two seasons ago. Um, but I was just in Jackson Hole. At, um, I had a show with my buddy uh, DJ Londo up there, um, and he also took me all over uh the resort he's like an incredible skier grew up there um we did day in the back country um so yeah it's really good people be sleeping on wyoming though yeah that was my first time there actually um yeah it's it's like one of the wealthiest counties in the country yeah um a lot of people are buying houses there um there's no income tax in wyoming so oh, that's right yeah Nice. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool place. If you're into winter sports, like I don't think there's a better place in the country. Did and you said you DJ there? Yeah. How long have you been DJing? Um professionally ten or so years, but uh overall, you know, almost twenty. Nice. how'd you get started? Um well I got into music with drums first. Um, I was in, you know, school band program, private lessons, all that. And then, uh, pretty soon after started, uh, got some turntables. Um, I also started producing right around that same time. So I've kind of been doing all three for a really long time. Nice. What keeps you DJing though? Um, well, obviously now it's a job, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, no, I mean it's always interesting. Every night is different. Um every every venue is unique, every crowd is unique. Um so yeah, it's always uh it's always interesting. So you said you've been doing it for about 20 years or so, and I'm trying to think who was hot back then that really got guys DJing. Like, I mean there's so many classic guys, but who did it for you? Uh I mean a lot of people don't remember or I don't know, but uh there used to be live DJs on TV every day on MTV and BET. So those that was really like my first exposure to DJing was guys like Funk Flex on MTV or Big Tigger on Rap City. Right. Um, That's right. They did have the live DJs on, on the basement. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was that was something I saw every day because I was, you know, I was into hip hop and um, I was watching those guys all the time. So that's sort of sort of what got everything going. Yeah, I forgot about Big Tigger in the basements. Yeah, and then you know Scribble on on MTV as well, right. and yeah. Um, 
So you've been DJing for, you know, let's just say 20 years. And how long you been doing remixes and stuff? Because I see you in all the major DJ record pools with your remixes. Yeah, I started producing, you know, right around the same time. But as far as dance music, I really got heavily into it. Um, probably about nine, ten years ago. Um, really started producing and releasing my own stuff maybe eight years ago. Do you have a favorite track of your own? Um, Hard one, right? I don't know about a favorite. Um, I don't know. I think recently, like, the ASAP Ferg uh, Plain Jane remix. Okay. Like, I'm pretty, pretty proud of how that came out. Ride with the mob. Hum do Allah. Check you and me. And do your job. Ferg is the name. Then Baller did the chain. Turn on for the watch. Prezi Plain Jane. Ride with the mob. Hum do Allah. Check you and me. And do your job. Ferg is the name. Then Baller did the chain. Turn on for the watch. Prezi Plain Jane. Got a lot of I saw a lot of collabos on the uh, on the YouTube here. Um, what's your favorite collabo? Uh, probably Tommy Sunshine, the yeah. legend. Hey, 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 hey! Check this out. We're gonna play a game. I don't know why I just like that sound. All right, we're gonna play a game. All right, I'm gonna call, we'll just call it rapid fire. All right, <clears throat> I'm gonna ask you a bunch of questions. You just give me the first answer that comes to mind. All right, you ready? Ready. All right. Your favorite DJ? Clever. Turntables or CDJs? Uh, CDJs in the club. When people say, "I thought you were taller," your response? Uh, <laughs> Come on, man! Quick, rapid fire. I don't know. Um, the camera adds a foot. All right. Beach or mountains? Uh, mountains, of course. Chicago or Vegas? Vegas, of course. Best female pop singer of all time? I'll just say Tovlo. All right. Michael Jackson or Prince? Michael Jackson. First celebrity crush? Uh, Aaliyah. If your DJ name wasn't Trentino, what would you call yourself? Maybe just my real name. Okay. Trent Joshua, gotcha. middle name. One person who reps Chicago hard, but you wish wouldn't. <laughs> uh, R. Kelly. <laughs> Have you seen the Blue Man Group live? Yes. When I'm not DJing, I'm? Uh, climbing. My next vacation is to? Bishop. Where's that? Uh, California. Okay. Uh, what DAW do you use? Ableton Live. Your dream residency. Output in Brooklyn. Okay. Who's your hero? Um, I don't know. Any, anybody that's doing what they love all the time. 
Favorite drinking game? Um, I don't really drink that much, so. Would you date a girl with six toes on one foot? Sure. All right. That's it. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What I want to do next, man, is uh, your Red Bull three-style video. Um, It's no secret to anybody that knows me. It's really my favorite. I think it's just I've seen tons over the years, but this one is definitely my favorite. What I like to do is I like to deconstruct it. Have you ever done this before? Deconstruct your video? Uh, No. Nice. It's the first time. Um, So what we're going to do, I'm going to play the video and we're going to watch it. And I, you know, I'm going to ask some questions as we kind of go through the video. Um, And we're going to deconstruct this. uh, Now, let's start with what year is this? 2013. Okay. And where's this? Where where are these finals at? This was in Toronto at Cool House. Okay. And who's the guy hosting? Flip out. Okay. He talks a lot. All right. So let's start the video. You're not the first person to say that. Man. This is Trentino repping the United States of America. There he is. Thank you. There we go. How long do you have to work at something before you become really good? Right? And the answer seems to be, it's an extraordinarily consistent answer in an incredible number of fields. And that is, you need to have practiced to have apprenticed. Now, who's 10, this talking? 10,000 10, hours before you get good. That's uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. Not the originator of that idea, but he wrote a lot. He wrote about it a lot. Gotcha. So what was your theme going into this? Um, because I know it's the beginning kind of starts with rock and roll. Yeah, that was basically the idea. I mean, basically all of this, probably uh, all of these ideas sort of start with two tracks that go together in some way, and right. then I try to build in both directions from that. What can go after it? What can go before? Right. Or if it can go in the opposite order? Um, obviously, I, this is just a great track yeah kill the noise and who who's this kid this is this from a song i mean uh this little kid riding a bike where's this from oh i don't know this is in the track oh okay gotcha yeah we the rock stars we 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 the real rock stars and i'm the biggest of all of them is it distracting when they're walking around like that? Nah, I'm pretty focused at this point. Do you perform this still? No, not really. I've tried this in clubs and it doesn't really go over very well. Now, was the Stars and Stripes on intentional? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the world finals representing the U.S.
How many hours did you put in to practice in this? Um, for the world final specifically, we had to have two sets, right. prelims and, and this, which is the final. Um, I started about six weeks out, and that's basically all I did for those six weeks. But I also reused a few things from the previous right. competitions. So spent probably about six months in total, basically only doing three style that year. And what did you place in this? Uh, in this final, I did not place. Really? Get the out of here. <laughs> oh, I cussed this now. Damn. Yeah, I mean... All the sets are up there if you guys want to, you know, nah, man, come to your own I like conclusion. this one. <laughs> Shit. I mean, no disrespect to the other guys, but. This was back when you could play dance music in a mainstream context. It was a fun time. Gotcha. And all during this, did you make any mistakes? That wasn't as clean as it could have been, but there's no, there's no like big mistakes here. So there was nothing that made you say, "Oh shit." Nah, this is that was about as clean as I ever did it. So. This is like a unison scratch with the baseline, which is a uh, Porter Robinson. Say my name. little pause for crowd I can dig it I can dig it this is the cool thing about the dicers you can pick them up show show people what's going on and then other hand on the turntable doing the pitch bend see and I'm glad you said that because I never caught the hand on the table with the pitch bend yeah I guess I was busy looking at this hand though And I'm guessing this takes us back to your drumming roots. Yeah, the drumming definitely helps with this sort of thing. He did a lot of that. Just awkward. That was just awkward. Like, even in the one before this, he just, like... So then this is the same track, but different cue points, which you just make a copy of the track. Right, right. And then you have, uh, you can have 10 cue points, basically. There were only five back then. First tone play, I think. Those are all nice because they're all horns and they're the same notes. 
I did notice that this was Kanye heavy. Yeah, that interview provided a lot of my uh, dialogue material for a lot of these sets. The BBC. Uh, oh, boy. I think there's one part where he tries to start singing and you switch it and it's like, yeah. Bruh. was hella excited there yo yeah that's just the original sample nice now how did you come up with this i mean that's what it sounds like <laughs> <laughs> like you were just sitting down you one said, day like oh that sounds like the adams family yeah you said uh a lot of it, a lot of the time you just set the cue points i put them in order of pitch right. like a you know low to high left to right and then um you just start playing and see see what you can come up with. Nice. All in all, how many different genres do you think you played in this set? Oh, I don't know. It depends how deep you want to get. Even just the first few tracks, it's like electro, dubstep, house. And who's this? That's, I think, Anderson Cooper interviewing Malcolm Gladwell from the same interview from before. And this track I just found on YouTube. And I couldn't find it for sale anywhere, so I just ripped it. Nice. And then the dude found found me later on. <laughs> Did he get props or to get mad? I don't know. He was excited about it. All of the massive. What you got, Trentino? This is probably the one that I picked up on as soon as you started it. How was the crowd reaction? Uh, you can see a, a little bit of them in the front there. Yeah. Um, I think it was good, but I'm pretty focused throughout the whole set because there's a lot going on. And this is before Drake's heyday? Uh, no, nah, Drake? Yeah. No, nah, he, was, he was doing it. For sure. Well, because I know it's like a lot of guys like went to Philly. Everybody tried oh, to drop a couple to, of Philly tracks in there. Yeah, I w I don't know. I guess I wasn't really thinking like that. Yeah. Like none of these tracks really stand on their own. They're all there because of what they came out of or what they're going into. Gotcha. little juggle. It's probably the most technical part of the set. With, with the eyes closed, looking up. 
that I can see. Yeah, you don't really have to look for those type of juggles. So it's cool to do something like that. Sort of the turntable. Scroll up a little bit there. Wordplay. Is there anything about this set as you've listened to it over the years that you say, man, I should have done this instead of this? I don't think so. I don't think I thought about it that much afterward. Yeah. I mean, once it was done, it was done. But, but there's a lot going on. There's a lot of little things. Everything's connected in some way. I don't think people got this either. I was I, using the words. Right, from, from one, one to the other, yeah. They both had the same words. I was replacing them. And that's the original track. Right. Uh. Same kind of chords. Right, right, right. It comes with the pointing, yep. <laughs> but like, what was the point of that? Like, stunting on you hoes. Yeah, he got a little close there. That was dope. I see what you did there. Yeah, we all did. <laughs> I think this is really the my favorite part here. So this is kind of uh, like a, we'll call this a piano melody-ish section, if you will. Yeah, those are the piano notes from I'm Different, which I also used in the prelim, but in right. a totally different way. Yeah, because I was wondering, like, um, in the prelim, you used the piano man, the girl playing the piano in the dark or whatever. Yeah, and part of the thing with this is um, – that was sort of the part of my U.S. final that everyone commented on and everyone remembered. So it was like, okay, now I'm the piano man because, you know, that was a big thing. Here's, here's the best part. I'm different, yeah, I'm different. I'm different, yeah, I'm different. I'm different, yeah, I'm different. Middle finger up to my competition. Hey! <laughs> I like 
like it. And that's what it's like to be a celebrity. All right. Yeah. So you did that set. You did in place, which is very disappointing. I didn't do my research to find that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so now let's. T- and that was what year? 2013. Did we do anything in 2014? Uh, there was no three style in the U.S. 2014. Okay. And, and then. And then by 2015, they sort of downsized significantly in the in the U.S. at least. So what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on DJ battling particularly this particular format? Uh I mean I I think overall it's been really successful. Um it's gotten a lot of people uh paying attention to DJ battles that never would have paid attention to them before. Um you can't really tell but that that crowd was huge at the at the world finals there it was yeah. um i don't know so somewhere i think over 5000 for sure wow maybe maybe even closer to 10 it was a, it's a big room i mean you can see like the acts that come through there they do they do really big shows there yeah um so i mean that's something you don't see at any other dj battle um so i think at least for that it's it's amazing and um you know the format provides um a platform for people that may not uh do as well in other dj battles i mean i don't feel like i would you know i don't feel like i would you know get that far in a dmc for example right i don't have the the pure insane you know speed and technical ability that those guys have um but i have enough to do something like this and do something that's a little more um I don't know more about the the thought and creativity behind it. So, would you do it again? Uh, I mean, if I hadn't done it, yes. But having gotten as far as I did, I I never felt like there was a reason to do it again. What did it do for your career? I mean, it was huge for sure. Um, it got me the biggest thing is it got me out of Chicago. I had done a little bit, you know, around the Midwest and stuff, but it really got me traveling like consistently um, nationally and quite a bit internationally after a couple of years, especially because this was the first time any of the competitors had full professional video of their sets. Mm. So this video spread it, you know, way further than it would have otherwise. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's why there's no footage of like the U.S. finals or or any of the ones I was in before. See, and I thought I thought that they didn't post like the U.S. stuff because they didn't want um, you know the competitor seeing you know. But I didn't even think about that. They didn't have no. They actually <coughs> they actually posted the audio for all of them like right afterward, which is a lot different from how they do like DMC. Like they're on lockdown because everyone's kind of expected to repeat their routines at least to some extent right so they they keep it you know you're not allowed to film and like nobody's allowed to post anything three styles uh, for whatever reason is like the opposite like everyone's sets went up immediately so but you know it's fair i guess it's happened to all of us all right i'm gonna leave that uh i'm gonna leave it out there let's play a new game (laughs) i like that sound all right let's play two truths and a lie Give us two truths and a lie. I'll try to figure out which one's a lie. 
Okay. My parents are from South Africa. Um, I've been skateboarding longer than I've been doing music. And uh been uh, skiing for five years. All right. Skiing for five years. That sounds like a truth. Um, skateboarding. You look like a skater, dude. So I get, I get. So I'm gonna say skiing and skateboarding are the two truths, and I'm gonna say that your your parents being African is a lie. Wrong. <laughs> your parents African? Yeah, my parents are from Johannesburg, South Africa. Oh, so that makes so that makes you African? I guess in a way, African American, nice. white African American. Nice. So which one's the lie? Uh, skiing. I've never been skiing. Ah. Okay. But I do snowboard. Ah, uh, see? I didn't even think about that. I went snowboarding once. I was in Korea and I almost broke my collarbone. It's like, nah, I'm cool. I'm going to leave that alone. Yeah, snowboarding is definitely dangerous. Like, you know, obviously I climb and I snowboard. People always think climbing is way more dangerous, but climbing is way safer. I mean, especially the kind of climbing that I do is like, sport climbing it's relatively safe snowboarding gets pretty gnarly i mean you're not you know you're not on a rope to right. catch you if you fall like you're you're going down you probably fall a lot less of course but the danger's there and i mean the you know the rate of speed that you get going is can be quite dangerous man dude i used to work at an airline and we used to see people coming in with their ski bags and stuff and they'd be in a cast or on crutches and be like, oh, yeah. yep, victim of the slopes. <sighs> slopes got you. Yeah. Yo, so <clears throat> being an, I'm, I'm kind of a, a younger DJ. I've seen some crazy things in the booth, but I always like to sit down and chop it up with some guys that have been doing it longer than me and find out what's the craziest thing that you've seen from the booth into the crowd. Like scene going on in the crowd? Yeah. Don't mention the club. We don't want to shit on nobody. <laughs> <clears throat> but I'm curious, man. What's the craziest thing that you've seen? Uh, probably girls like puking on themselves and coming out of their outfits. Oh, just throwing off on a shirt and just <laughs> getting naked right there in the club. No, like not even connected. Just like they're coming out of their outfit and then they're puking on the floor like two minutes later. That's a good time, I guess. You know, <laughs> I mean, when you're that drunk that you're puking on yourself in the club. What's the craziest thing you've seen in the booth, though? Um, it's a different story in the booth than you know outside the booth. I, the the thing is, I I keep my booth pretty uh, secure. Yeah. So and I'm pretty focused when I'm DJing. So yeah, I don't know. That's that's sort of a a hard one. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> Yo, have you ever seen these dudes? And, and I'm I'm gonna be a hater for a minute. Have you ever seen these dudes and they're posting pictures on social media? And they're in a booth DJing, and it's a sausage fest behind them. <laughs> and I, I and I'm like, dude, that's not cool, bro. Like, come on, man. Like, I got a thing, man. I don't like dudes in the booth when I'm spinning. That's like my biggest pet peeve. I don't like groupies in the booth when I'm DJing. Like the chicks that want to come up and just take a picture and don't even say hi. Like, yeah, oh, bitch, get up. Oh yeah, that's the word. There's a lot of that out here. But uh. Yeah, I don't like anyone too close to me in general while I'm DJing. If I know you, that's okay. But even then, I mean, I need I need some elbow room. Right. I'm not a very big dude, obviously. So, like, if I'm scratching on one deck, that other deck is pretty exposed. 
And like, there's lots of times where people get in between me and the other deck, and like, yeah, it's a bad situation. Yo, I think I saw on a flyer last summer you and Shaq did the same venue. Yeah, that was uh, that was at Rehab Vegas last summer. Same night. Uh, in the daytime, but yeah. Tell me, you got a picture standing next to Shaq? I did not. <laughs> I'd pay money. It to was see way that. too hectic. There were. You know, like we were just talking about, there were like 150 people on stage. <laughs> I, I next time you get a chance, I'd love to see that picture. Just in, obviously in the height difference. But. I know that would it would have been really good. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of traveling. I noticed too. Yeah, um, obviously, like the two or three years after three style were like really crazy. Yeah, um, and then the international stuff kind of started a little bit later. Um, I'm not traveling quite as much these days, but um, that is still kind of, I guess, my, my bread and butter. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I don't have anything consistent in Vegas at the moment. So, you know, and that's kind of always been my thing. I mean, the traveling stuff obviously pays way more, usually get treated better, right. et cetera. So you don't have anything consistent in Vegas, but you have spun at some of these major nightclubs down here. Yeah, well, I was a resident at rehab all last summer, right? Uh, but rehab's done. Um, basically, Virgin bought the Hard Rock; they're turning it into a Virgin Casino. Oh, I don't know the timeline on any of that, but it hasn't happened yet. But that's what's supposedly happening. And so, if my memory serves me right, you you're not represented. You don't have an agent, right? It's just me. I I had an agent for a couple years um like after three style but it was a disaster so pros and cons of having agent versus not having agent for me it was mostly cons um i mean if you have somebody that that's really putting in work for you like that's great i mean at the end of the day you're paying for the agent um they always like to sell you on oh we're gonna get you more money and it'll make it worthwhile. Like we'll get enough money to cover our fee. That's not really how it works. They're not. No club is paying you more because you're on an agency. There, and honestly, most uh, for most agencies like or clubs, it's easier to just book somebody directly than it is to deal with an agency. Right. I had one that was that was quite good at handling stuff, but they didn't get enough work to make it worthwhile. So it doesn't. You know, I have no problem handling my own stuff. You know, it's like you're you're giving somebody twenty percent sometimes of a gig, and they're spending maybe five minutes to book it. I mean, you know, they're putting a name and address on a contract, and they're accepting the deposit. And then, of course, you don't get that deposit till months later or whatever. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's it's a it's kind of a racket as far as I'm concerned. So you had an agency, didn't work out. What if another agency came up and says, hey, we know you're not represented. we like to represent you. Uh, well, I mean, I've been approached and I tell them all the same thing, which is if you can get me enough work to make up for the fees that I'm paying you, like, of course. Like, of course I'll do that. Right. If I'm going to make at least the same amount of money and have more work and whatever, like, of course. But... Um, as soon as you say that to any agency, they know they can't deliver. So they, you know, that's kind of the end of the conversation. Makes sense. Makes sense. I, I heard a rumor. How about this? Let me say, I heard a rumor that you are very uh, vocal about the evolution of DJing or 
the lack of DJs wanting to evolve, the purest wanting to be pure. Yeah, I I guess I get put in this purest category just because of the battle stuff, but that's not really where I come from. Um, to me, they're all just tools, and I want to use the the most reliable, best tools for the job for for what I'm doing, which at the moment is DJing in clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like basic, like I haven't bought a record since I got Serato because I was buying records so I could, you know, sample them and and scratch and DJ with them. And once that was no longer needed, like I stopped because they're just tools to me. That right. I don't really, I don't really have a special connection. I don't really like collecting things either in general. I notice it sort of makes sense. Like a lot of DJs are collectors because you have to collect or used to have to collect records um and that might spill over into you know the stereotype sneakers and all all that um but that was sort of that was never really me i kind of like especially these days i'm more of a minimalist i can dig it and i want to i got a guy that posted um something on facebook or whatever that he had um like twenty five thousand songs in his crate and i looked at that and i was like for what you're not playing that many That's songs insane i th- i think first of all every nightclub dj's library is too big including mine yeah however small it is it's too big uh i think if you actually broke down you know like if serato had play count and you could actually see what you're playing <laughs> um you know you'd realize you're only using a few hundred songs um, and then maybe you have the odd gig where you, you go outside of that, but you, I mean, you don't need a lot of music. Like I, I have about 2,500 on my flash drive right now that, and that's what I use for everything. And I have everything on there. It's not about like, I only have a certain kind of music. I have hip hop, all eras. I have my wedding crates. I have my bar mitzvah stuff from back in the day. Like I'm ready for whatever. Like twenty five hundred songs is a lot if you think about it. Yeah, I had uh, last I want to say September October. I started going through, and I used Recordbox DJ. And I went through, and I cleaned up my entire library. I mean, my grids are on point, my cue points, everything like shit's perfect. Like, and I went from twenty two hundred songs to twelve. Twelve hundred. Twelve hundred. That's it. Yeah, you know? that's great. <clears throat> so now, if it's not a banger, I'm not downloading it. Or like I see these guys that have six different versions of one song. I'm like, Come right, on, that's dude. a lot of it. A lot of people think they have all this music and all they have are duplicates and multiples and yeah. you know eight remixes of the same song. Like you don't need you need one remix maybe. I mean these days you can't even play remixes out. So like I don't even bother. Well, and then you're playing the same. I mean even if you have a remix, you're playing. You're gonna find that one that's your favorite and you're gonna play it all the time. Of course, that's yeah. So that's why it. have ten of them for no reason, you know? Yeah, you gotta you gotta discriminate a little bit. I mean, it's it just it makes it so much more efficient when you're actually playing out to not have to see all this stuff. Yeah, you only see what you need, and uh, it you know I feel like I DJ so much better with a smaller library. Yeah, it's quicker to get to stuff. So you've been DJing twenty years. If you wasn't a DJ, what would you be? Um. I guess the next thing in line would be a producer um, that's still sort of DJ related, I guess. But, um, you know, it, if I had to guess, I've probably spent more time 
producing music than I have practicing DJing. Really? I I would guess that, yeah. Um, I mean, I spent a lot of time over the last, you know, seven, eight years producing dance music, um, which is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I've spent, spent a lot of time on that. Um, you know, and then, you know, the next thing is obviously a drummer. Spent a lot of time doing that as well. Um, you know, I went to college for music. If I don't think we covered that, but um, you know, I went to college, jazz studies, uh, drum set. So nice, fairly uh, proficient in that as well. Who's your favorite drummer right now? Uh, Matt Garstka. He plays for Animals as Leaders. Okay. He's uh he's still pretty young. He's still in his twenties, but he's already I think one of the one of the you know technically one of the greatest drummers of all time. He's he's like he's insane. Like I can't wait to see what he's gonna be doing in ten years. That's what's up. And you went. You said you went to college for music. Yeah, like music is like legit with you, like educated and the whole nine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was yeah. So I was in the band program doing drums and percussion and. And then you know, also private lessons all through junior high, high school, and then you know when it when it came time to figure out what I wanted to do for college, I was sort of you know expected to go to college for something. Um, that was the only thing that I could think of was, well, I'm gonna go for music because I wanna I wanna do music. And I almost went for um, like engineering, but I decided I didn't really want to be an engineer for other artists. I wanted to perform and make my own music, so I ended up going for jazz studies. Now, are your parents musicians? No, not at all. What do they think about you being a DJ? Um, they're they're fine. You know, as long as I'm surviving, they're they're happy. Yeah. All right. So, um, having the experience that you have, what would you tell a young? I'm gonna break this into two different questions. So, what would you tell a young DJ? And then I'm going to ask you, what would you tell a young producer? So a young DJ, first year in, got him a MacBook, got some Ableton, some headphones, some monitors. He's ready. What advice would you give him? Uh, I mean, at this point, you know, the only thing most of us can really worry about is how to get booked. And at this point, that has a lot to do with your image, your marketing, uh, social media, obviously. Um, so yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but like, you got to have that stuff together. People always, you know, want to, want to talk bad about DJs being on Instagram or whatever, but like, it's kind of pretty important at this point. So yeah, I mean, get, get it all together. I mean, you know, learn how to DJ and get your skills together as well. But like, without that, you know, you need everything at this point. And actually, let me correct myself. I said Mac and all that stuff, but I was producer stuff, so I apologize. You know, I should say controller or something. But um, <clears throat> would you say that it's part of being a DJ is not necessarily what you know, but who you know? That's uh, yeah. Obviously, that's a huge part of it. Um, most DJs are getting booked through some sort of direct connection, um, through a, a direct referral, or or you know, just knowing somebody at the club. So then let me ask you this. Let's use Club X, wherever Club X might be. And I know the DJ there, Club X. And obviously, I'm nowhere near as skilled as you are. Okay? But you send your EPK to these guys. I send my EPK to these guys just on a formality. And I get booked. And you see that I'm booked. 
and you're like, this guy can't hold my jock strap. How frustrating is that for, you know, a seasoned DJ that you see these guys that suck. I mean, and suck is a bad word, but just aren't as talented. Let's say that um, versus the, the, the skill profession, all because of who they know, not necessarily their skill set. I mean, it's just part of the game at this point. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of times people could have any reason to book or not book somebody. They might not like your face. You know, it could be literally anything. I mean, for me, I I know that in some cases people might see a video like the three style thing and they go, well, we don't want all that. We don't want all that in the club. And they're right most of the time. Like, right. And, you know, because when I show up, it's not that it's I always do um, technical stuff in my sets. But playing a two or three or four hour club set is completely different from a 15 minute competition set. So it's it's, sometimes it can be hard to use something like that to market to a club because they're not going to get it. It's not really such a direct connection. Yeah. Um, So I don't know. You know, it, it could be any any number of reasons why you're why you might get booked or not booked so speaking of the technical aspect of it i've been to venues <clears throat> i've heard a dj spin and all i could think to myself is if this fucking guy doesn't stop scratching i'm gonna throw my drink at him <laughs> in the nightclub and i want to be like okay maybe he was booked for that <laughs> but as a scratching dj or a dj that scratches how much should be done in the club per se and are guys just completely that do scratch oblivious to the crowd and realizing that they're scratching or they're over scratching i should say is fucking up the whole dance floor and the whole vibe uh i mean some people probably are uh obviously when you're scratching it's hard to pay attention to much else I and mean, you're pretty you got to be pretty focused on what you're doing um but yeah, it's it's hard, and it uh, of course it varies vastly. I mean, I think one of the biggest factors is can the crowd see the equipment? In most clubs, they can't. Right. So turntablism is, in you know, in my view, is really a visual thing. It's 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 music, but it's music with the visual of what's going on. Okay. So without the visual, like if you're just listening to a mixtape and you're listening to somebody do some complex beat juggle, I mean, there's no way of even understanding even for another DJ to understand what's going on. Right. It's a visual thing. So if the crowd can see you and you know, it's a venue that's set up to direct everyone's attention towards you, then yeah, like you do some stuff like, um, this last, uh, this show I did in Jackson hole was at like, a just a music venue. It was just a table on the stage. I was lit up. And like people were facing me and paying attention, so I could do a lot more than I would do at you know a bottle service club. Right. Okay. So yeah, yeah. There's no there's no answer. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So part two. Um, any advice you would give to young producers? So like producers that want to be EDM artists, or producers that just want to produce for other people, or. Let's let's do both. So let's start with one. All right. I'm a young producer. I want to be an EDM artist. What would you tell me? I mean, it's sort of cliche, but having your own sound is is kind of the only way to get anywhere these days. Um, there's just too many people making music and it's becoming 
easier all the time to just be able to copy what other people are doing. Yeah. I mean, as soon as there's a big record, there's a sample pack out like the next week that's pretty spot on. Yeah. <laughs> so you can, uh, yeah, you really have to like, you know, do some sort of sound design or some sort of format or tempo or anything that that's not being done and hope that that one day, be, you know, becomes popular because there's still no guarantee. I mean, everyone's not going to become an EDM superstar. Right. There just isn't that much room. You know, the, the festivals have been, have had the same headliners more or less for like seven or eight years. It's the same dudes. It's not changing. Yeah. Like Marshmallow is the only new headliner pretty much. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and what's interesting about that is I was really into EDM big a few years ago. Actually, when I started learning how to DJ, I learned on EDM. And, you know, there's these different sounds. But I think for me, the most distinct sound that's come out of an EDM producer is Kygo sound. Like okay. when you hear that, it's like, bro, that's a Kygo track. Sure. You know? Yeah. And so I totally get what you're saying, you know, as far as have your own sound. Like it doesn't matter what Kygo song it is. I know that's him. Right. So and yeah, I don't know in that case specifically but a lot of these guys they were already doing that for a long time before a lot of these guys were maybe making that kind of music for 10 years and then it became popular right but you can't you can't plan that out it can't be you know because nobody knows what the next sound is like you just kind of have to try and you know so when they say the edm bubble has <laughs> bursted do you feel that it has um in a way, it's it's definitely not in the mainstream like it was several years ago. Um, there was a time for probably two or three years where I didn't play hip hop because uh, most places wanted dance music. It was like they finally found something that was acceptable to the masses and wasn't gonna, you know, you know, scare people. Right. It wasn't perceived as being dangerous or whatever. Um, so that's that's what they wanted and that's what you could you could get away with that you could get away with 128 all night for like most places i was playing i mean when i was still just playing when i was still a local dj in chicago um you know i was on the radio it was strictly house music never played a hip-hop set on the radio um my last residency before three style was strictly house music it was actually a club that had uh three different rooms they had a hip-hop room um, which I never played, and they had the main room, which was dance music, and that that's where I played. Gotcha. Um, so now, you know, fast forward a few years, it's pretty much like 80, 90% hip-hop at almost all my gigs, and that's just the way that everything's gone. Even when you go to, like, if you go to see, like, a big EDM producer in Vegas, even they're not really playing dance music the whole time. Yeah. You'll hear a lot of top forty remixes. You'll hear a lot of hip hop. I mean, it's all like Chucky playing just straight hip hop, non remixed at all. Like just playing hip hop. It's like it sort of the whole pendulum is swung. So now, if you're an EDM, now you can get away with playing like everything. And if you're just a nightclub DJ, you're basically playing hip hop. So I like to call myself an open format DJ, um, and I heard something one of these little talk shows that um, open format DJs are in high demand um, because now there is such a vast variety of music being played. But I'm like, even when they're, you know, the height of EDM or the height of hip hop, 
open format DJs still should be in high demand because we can play everything versus, you know, if you're the, and I guess my thought process is simply this, if you're an EDM DJ and that's your genre and the EDM bubble bus, your work should decrease significantly. Whereas if you're an open format DJ during the EDM bubble, you had, you know, let's say steady gigs, steady gigs, and then, oh, the EDM bubble busted. I'm still steady gigs, steady gigs, because I'm playing other genres as well. Theoretically, yeah. Um, it's it's hard to compare the two. I mean, if you're an EDM artist, you're a recording artist. True. So you're getting booked. It's more like sort of a performance than it is like DJing. Not saying they're not DJing, but that's what it is. Like nobody cares about those guys because of how they DJ. It's because of the music that they made or supposedly made. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, yeah. You nah, to, tell us about that because you did the air quotes on supposedly made. Well, I mean, we got ghost DJs and going. I mean, ghost producing going on here. Yeah, all all of that happens. I mean, everyone knows about it, and it's just becomes so like accepted i mean people get um you know people get outed all the time and and you know the audience has kind of just shown that they don't really care so I, I don't know what to do about that but um it's like that's the only reason that you would care to see uh most of these edm acts is because like you like the music that they made and they supposedly made it and you're going to like hear that music with a bunch of other people that are also into it um, but if they didn't make it and they're, you know, often not DJing or not good at DJing, it's like, what's the point? Like, you're just a model at that point. Well, I mean, if I'm a ghost producer and I give something to, uh, you know, a big time producer DJ and it blows up, wouldn't I want everybody to know, hey, I did that track? Yeah, I would think so. But we're not hearing about they're that. They're just getting paid off, you know. Uh, <laughs> um you know and i i can sort of see for ghost producers like i can sort of see the appeal i could never do it i've been at it's funny because i've been asked both like i've been offered ghost production and i've been asked to ghost produce it's like well which one is it like right. am i <laughs> do i not know how to produce or do i know how to produce right. i don't know what it is anymore um but you know i i get the appeal like you can you can make some money and you 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 know if you you're making music anyway because that's what you love to do and you you can get paid from it and you're not particularly a lot of these guys are just not that interested in djing or or touring or or any of that so it, it sort of makes sense for them but it's still i mean at its core it is dishonest yeah. i mean it's 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 deception there's no other way to put it because these guys are they getting producer credits or anything in the in the credits or uh, anything or some do occasionally um because uh, you but, would think, but usually, usually, if it's ghost produced, then they're not they're not in there. I mean, that's the whole thing. Yeah. I'm but figured. sometimes you can look it up and and figure out who made what. Like you can see, like for example, like Chami made a bunch of the early DJ Snake stuff, and like he's in the credits if you if you look. And yeah. You obviously, you got to figure out what their real name is. And yeah. But yeah, you you can find these things. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely ghost production where they're not credited at all because. They're credited. I mean, the whole point is to make it look like this guy made it, you know. And uh, and every time this comes up, people try to tell me, well, how's that different from pop music? It's like, well, pop music, the artist is a vocalist. Right. They're singing, and the producers are credited. Like, 
That's how it works. Not it's not there's no there's no like deception going on there. It's right. not you're not lying to everybody. So then let's let's talk about deception in the DJ booth. At these large festivals, do you think these guys are playing a live set or do you think they're playing something pre recorded? There's both. Uh some of these guys are, some aren't. I would sort of argue that maybe it doesn't matter that much at a giant festival because that's not really what it's about. Right. If you want to go see DJing, you can't see the DJ at a di- giant festival anyway. There's 50,000 people. You're like half a mile away from the DJ. You're not going to see like, you know, their, their two clicks. <laughs> it's, just, right. it's not, it, that's not what that is. It's about the whole presentation. It's about the production, the lighting, the video, all that. So it's like, does it really make that much of a difference whether they're DJing live or not? To me, it probably doesn't matter that much. Well, because I read a thing that said like um, a lot of these guys are using pre-recorded mixes because you've got 50,000 people in front of you. You know, do you want to really train wreck in front of that many people? And then they're like, oh, this guy's trash, you know, versus having that clean already put together set and just faking the funk. You know? Yeah. I mean, it it also helps with putting together the the rest of the production of the show right. if it's pre-set then you can program all the lighting and video to the whole set and everything's going to be perfect so maybe that's you know that could be just as good because that's what <laughs> that's what it's about i mean an edm festival is nothing without uh lighting sound and video True. that's what it's about it's not about djing so because <laughs> i've done we've got we have you know, little festivals uh in, in Denver, and I've done some of the side stages, and I swear I tell these kids the only difference between that main stage and our stage was our lighting. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So now, advice for producers who just want to produce, don't want to be EDM superstar um, artists, just want to be producers. What advice do you have for those guys? I think at this point, like if you want to be a pop producer, you have to be making complete records. Um. Nobody's really taking stuff that isn't mixed, mastered, written, recorded well. They want a finished product that they don't have to do much with. Right. You know, there was a time when, you know, people were producing like on an MPC. Nobody really had the facility to to mix and master stuff properly or record vocals or all that stuff. So like it was sort of acceptable. Like here's a rough thing. But, like, you can hear, like, what it'll be when it's a finished product. But at this point, it's like everyone has the tools to do anything. So you have to be turning in finished records. And that, you know, and there's tons of stories of, like, reference vocals just being left on the record because they're so good. I mean, so that's what they want. That's what they want to hear now. How many times in your social media inboxes... Does some aspiring somebody send you a track? Like like other like EDM producers? Yeah, or? anybody. So, hey, check out my song. Tell me what you think. How often does that happen to you? Uh, Pretty regularly. How often do you actually respond to those? Um, Not as much as I wish I did, <laughs> I would say. No, and um, when you respond, do you give them real feedback or do you just try to, oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings because I know this is your craft, but this could use some work or you know or do you just like yo man this is trash start over like yeah i do i think if it's a technical issue that i can identify readily um then that to me is 
you know, something that they should be aware of. Yeah. A lot of times things are just taste, just an artistic choice or whatever. And then I don't know if it's really like my place to say, right. You know, it could just be like, well, I'm not that into this, but a lot of popular music that I'm not into. So, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, obviously I'm super into all the technical aspects of music. So if I can help out with that stuff, like I'm, I'm, definitely into that and it makes you better as a as a producer and an engineer as well yeah to like critique other people's music and find issues and that can help you find issues in your own stuff i can dig it i can dig it all right that's the advice that trentino has for young guys trying to come up where can people find you at on social media um instagram's the main one for everyone these days it's trentino music uh, also Facebook, it's Trentino and, uh, yeah. And if somebody wants to book you, how can they reach out? Uh, yeah, the email is booktrentino at gmail.com and that goes directly to me. Nobody else looks at it. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm easy to get a hold of. I'm easy to find. Um, you can just talk to me. So nice. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Trentino. That's it for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. To see the full video interview, go to youtube.com slash DJ Suave. Make sure you subscribe and rate this episode and share with your friends. See you next week on The Stoop with Suave.